This, 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 this is mythical. Instagram, a feast for the eyes or an unwelcome interruption to your Sunday brunch? Take the picture, Karen. My quinoa frittata is getting cold. <laughs> Today we ask, is Instagram ruining food? This is a hot dog is the sandwich. Ketchup is a smoothie. Yeah, I put ice in my cereal, so what? That makes no sense. Hot dog is a sandwich. A hot dog is a sandwich. <laughs> what? Well, it's been a while, but we are back up and running from our respective homes with this quarantine edition of A Hot Dog is a Sandwich, the show where we break down the world's biggest food debates. I'm your host, Josh Scherer. And I'm your host, Nicole Hendizade. And today we're answering the question, is Instagram ruining food? Nicole, what do you think? No, I don't. I don't think it is. <laughs> Josh, what do you think? Okay, one, I mean, one, I do, yeah, I believe Instagram is ruining food, uh, which is a new revelation for me, and I have been on the record as saying Instagram is not ruining food before, but I have changed since then. My positions have evolved. I have evolved as a person. I have more body hair now, um, especially during quarantine when I'm not shaving because I have no one to impress. But yeah, I believe Instagram is ruining food. Obviously, it's a very complicated issue. Okay, so first... To really break down the question, I like how I start everything with to break down the question, what is macaroni? No, to break down the question of Instagram ruining food, we have to like decide, you know, when food was great, not to get political on main here. <laughs> when we're talking about is Instagram ruining food, I think the larger discussion here is like, what is the role of food media and how is that actually either helping or hurting people? Instagram is yeah. a microcosm of all this. And like you and I are obviously a big part of this. So this is a somewhat personal Absolutely. issue for us. I see you Instagram. I see you. You're, you Instagram your eyebrow tutorials. You also Instagram your delicious foods that you cook. So we're both a part of this. Josh, I'm on Instagram right now, literally scrolling as you speak. <laughs> Thank you for paying me the respect that I deserve, which is roughly no none. prob, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I personally think that I mean, if it wasn't for Instagram, I wouldn't have a job. Not to get anecdotal on it. Not to get anecdotal on Maine. But if it wasn't for Instagram, you would have never seen my body of work and then you would have never hired me. So I think Instagram is wonderful for the food industry and I don't think it ruins it at all. If I didn't have Instagram, I wouldn't know at least 70% of the, the food industry people that I know now. It really has helped connect and open my eyes to a lot of new different ways of cooking. Yeah, there's some perversion in there. Don't get me wrong. I know, you know, deep frying a pizza and then slapping some chicken tendies on it and then deep frying it again and then putting nachos on it and then deep frying it again and then putting a Caesar salad on it is wrong. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's a little perverted and I understand that. But the benefits of Instagram and what it does for food definitely outweighs the crappy stuff. Nicole, I used to be like you. Believe me, I used to believe the same thing because, I mean, Instagram, mm-hmm. anything on social media in all forms of media, they give you a sense of community. They kind of give you a tribe, people that share your same interests. And food has obviously become a huge part of that. But at what point Absolutely. does a tribe and a community become a click? And at what point does, you know, a simple interest that one, everybody should have, like cooking is a basic skill that literally everyone should know. But I think Instagram mm-hmm. has kind of elevated it to this somewhat exclusive Thing. You've seen a lot of people, especially during quarantine, I think a lot of people have, you know, one, been faced with the idea that like, oh, crap, I have to cook all the time now and I can't go out to restaurants. Yeah. Uh, but then, two, there have been a lot of people who say they're intimidated by certain things like sourdough bread baking. You have all these people posting their gorgeous pictures of food. And then rather than that inspiring people to make it, it intimidates them. 
And that's another thing is that Instagram always favors the beautiful, which is kind of a problem and a thing that you and I deal with on the daily. Whenever you're making content for the internet, as far as food goes, you need to constantly be thinking about like what looks the best, what sounds the best, what's going to get the most eyes on it, because that's food literally eats our, first. Yeah. The, I mean, what is it? Eyes eat first? The, I said food eats the, first. The, the, food, the food is cannibalizing the food. The food <laughs> eats first. The chili fries are eating the pizza. The Caesar salad is getting eaten by the corn dog. <laughs> yeah, the the camera eats first. Yeah, I oh no, phone eats first. I think Ph- that's what you say all the time. That happens when right? I drop my phone into a vat of nacho cheese. The phone eats first. Yes, yes, that's but yeah, that no, is correct. And there's something like vaguely, not even vaguely, there's something incredibly disgusting about that idea that I've turned into that person. Realizing during quarantine how cooking is such a basic skill that literally everyone needs. I think we need to have classes on it in school. I think it's something that literally everyone should be able to do, like laundry or taxes. But now we've turned it into. Do a you know of, how to do your taxes? You oh, know how to do your taxes, dude. No, but I should. I maybe if there was an Instagram for taxes, we would all be good on Yo, it. Yo, if there was an ins, you know, I think there is an Instagram for taxes, but they wear suits and like that's just really intimidating. Like, don't wear a suit on Instagram Live. You know, like if you're wearing like a t-shirt and jeans, talking about like a uh, like property tax and like how to file by a certain date. Like, I would care about that, but like they wear suits and stuff. It's weird. Wait, who are these Instagram tax people? <laughs> I'll send you their links. Please, because I have no idea how to do it. And I think it's coming up. Yeah. Did it already pass? Uh, yeah, I think it was April 18th. I don't know. My dad does my taxes for me. <laughs> um, Will your dad do my taxes for me? <laughs> yeah. He's actually very, very intuitive with these things. It's quite shocking. Nicole, I'll give you any financial document you need from me. That's totally fine. Forward it to Morris. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so when we're talking about letting essentially an algorithm decide what food content that people see or don't see, which means what food is important to them and what is not, I think that's where we run into a really weird problem. Because like you said, with the deep fried nacho pizza, blah, 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 it's not just that that stuff is, you know, I don't know, unhealthy. Some people have made that argument, like Instagram favors unhealthy food, which I don't care about that at all. But the fact that it's favoring things that are very complicated, things that are spectacular, things that are not simple and sensationalized sensationalized food content sensationalized food content look at what look at what's happened to the food network i I spoke earlier about you know when was food great i think a lot of people me and you included maybe Mm -hmm. over romanticized the kind of like early 2000s with the food network and you know we grew up learning to cook from rachel ray and alton brown and you know tyler florence all these people and then now every food network show is like We've tied this chef's hands behind his back, blindfolded him, put him in a kiddie pool. Now he has to try and make a souffle. And Alton Brown has become this like circus ringleader character. And so, you know, Food Network had to kind of sensationalize their things to keep up ratings. There was an exec once that was quoted as saying, uh, our job is not to teach people how to cook. It's to get people to watch television. And to me, that's how I view Instagram and kind of, I don't know, our jobs in general is like our is our job to teach people how to cook, which would be very, very helpful. Or is it our job to get eyes on these images of food? So they're two very different things. I think we I mean, just you and I and just the mythical kitchen in general, I think, has a good balance of both of being outlandish and uh, downright stupid and for entertainment purposes only. And then having, you know, that educational snippet here and there or else you know the hashtag that we created dreams become food wouldn't have over 500 
you know, reiterations of it. People are actually learning. You know, it's it depends. You can follow whatever content you want on Instagram. There's only like one food network. So like you can just watch that channel and get whatever you want from it. But Instagram, you have the ability to follow whoever you want. You can follow people that inspire you. You can follow people that, um, you know, teach you. You can follow people that, you know, they have a raw vegan diet and they use things like a blue uh, pea, blue, what is that? Blue powder? You know Ooh, the blue powder. Butterfly pea powder. Yeah, like like using like really cool ingredients that you wouldn't see all the time, you know, doing cool things like making an avocado rose. Like, I don't know how to do that. I never knew how to do that, but I watched it. It was a tutorial on Instagram and I learned it. And I think there's, you can pick and choose. The, the thing about Instagram is that it creates, you have the ability to choose. And then there's also the explore page that like really, really shows you the content that you would like algorithmically like. And it creates this really, really cool like feed that you can see what you want and what you enjoy. And I think that's a benefit. You know, you can customize what you see food wise. And I think that's awesome. It is true. And I get it. And this is a very kind of uh, subtle. This is a very. This is a touchy argument, right? Because YouTube, mm-hmm. YouTube gotten itself in a lot of hot water. And this is like very kind of deep media nerd stuff. Got itself in a lot of hot water because people noticed as trending videos that are served to you on an algorithm basis, they kind of keep getting more and more extreme because that's what you naturally crave, right? When you go onto your Instagram discover page, you're not like, oh, there's a simple salad and a salad dressing. It's just like, yo, what's that pizza topped with a bunch of fries? Or like, what is that? beautifully articulated avocado rose what is this bright blue thing what's going to catch your eye first right and so you kind of think you're choosing but how much choice do you really have nicole does free will exist or are we all just doomed and predestined from god aka the algorithm josh did you know that when i used to go to cpk when i was little i would take a pizza and i would put french fries on it so when you said that it took me back to a really specific food memory i had which is really helpful because you know instagram doesn't ruin food it like reminds you like oh my god do you remember that time when like we went to that place and they had a really great like poached egg you can learn do you know how many people know how to poach an egg now because of instagram i'm not kidding the actual caliber of people learning about food from instagram has grown exponentially. I, I don't have the data, but if I ask someone five years ago, do you know how to poach an egg? And if I ask them now, they're like, yeah, I know how to poach an egg. That's because Instagram has created this universe where, yeah, maybe maybe the content is not exactly, you know, handpicked. There is an algorithm that assists you in liking what you like. But, you know, that's another podcast for another, another day. The Matrix is real. <laughs> No, but but what if you but what if you had the actual data to support that? Because millennials cook less than any other generation. Millennials are also the first generation to ever spend more on food eating out than they do at home, which is, you know, a double-edged sword. That's a very great thing for the restaurant industry, right? A lot of people make that argument that Instagram uh, on or that food on Instagram has been great for the restaurant industry because it supports the restaurant. Dominique Crenn yeah. said that it's giving her exposure and she's a legit fine dining chef. So it's not just novelty foods. And I think that gets overstated a little bit. Like it's not just novelty foods on Instagram. Uh, it's other things. But has the restaurant industry actually gotten any better for people? Have people actually learned how to cook more? The data doesn't suggest that they have. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Well, no, my whole argument is ruined, Josh. No, I mean, it's it's not because I mean, it's it's there are obviously other factors that play here, economic factors and all that. But yeah, that was I told you, I, I wrote this article a while ago that said that um, Instagramming everything you eat is a good thing for society, because anytime you 
see an image of food, you're more interested in learning about that food. So you're going to be interested in the farming of it. You know, chefs now are multimillionaires and they're media stars. You look at David Chang, Jose Andres, all these people. But then I think I'm just down in the dumps from the whole quarantine thing and seeing what's happening to the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. But it's like if now these people are multimillionaires and stars and they're all these good people that control such a huge, you know, lion's share of the restaurant industry, then like, dang, two weeks of restaurants closed just put like uh, 80% of workers out of business, people that didn't have yeah, healthcare, all this stuff. So we're sitting over here saying like, yeah, Instagram, a picture of that restaurant dish. It's helping the restaurant. That's awesome. You know, giving them support. And then the industry just collapses. And obviously, this is an economic issue. This isn't about Instagram itself. But for me, yeah, it kind of so. exposed a bit of the fallacy of saying like, we're doing a good job just by posting images of food. There's a lot of deeper layers there. Yeah, I think posting images of food is is another factor. You know, the marketing that it did for restaurants whenever it was pre-quarantine time was was really helpful, I think, for those restaurants all throughout the world. You know, I follow this, uh, this risotto restaurant in Florence, Italy, that I had no idea it existed until I randomly saw it on my Explore page. And they do like grapefruit risotto like with candied uh, walnuts and stuff and I just think that's so interesting and like I would have never known about this place if it wasn't for Instagram but when you said a um like you said a lot of good things about like how it helped like Dominique Crenn and like other like like really really important chefs in the industry what kind of uh food on Instagram bothers you is my question like why do you think it's ruining like food in general not the restaurant industry or like Mm. not like necessarily the the food stylist industry or whatever like what is it about IG food that really like pisses you off? I mean, there's your classic Instagram, there's your classic Instagrammy foods, like the whole rainbow movement where people would just add food dyes to cheese and then put it in a grilled cheese and do that like cheese pull and it just looks like a unicorn vomited into a slice of bread, stuff like that. But I don't think, but do you think that ruined grilled cheese for you? I don't think it ruined grilled cheese, but to me it's the precedent that it set where it's like images are more important than actual food, Right. That, to me, is the issue in this. I mean, if you look at David Chang's show, Ugly Delicious, I, I love the, yes. thes- the thesis behind that, which is just like, ugly food, or what we consider quote-unquote ugly, is really, really delicious, and it is very valid. And you're going to post a picture of this South Indian stew on your Instagram, and maybe it just looks brown, and people aren't going to click like on it, but it could be the most delicious food that you've ever eaten. So food that takes you know the image being more important than the actual taste it's tough. Mm-hmm. And again, we say this as people who this is exactly what we do. And so it's it's yeah. kind of weird to even be talking about it. And maybe this will never even go to air and we're just going to shut this down entirely. <laughs> but I think what it comes down to for me, like you said, Instagram is a place where you can curate what you are actually seeing. To me, then it becomes a responsibility on the actual creators of that to make it very clear that like, this is a dish that may not look good. It is very, very important. And you have a responsibility to actually, you know, curate the experiences. Like you said, I, th- I do think we we try and strike a balance of like, here is education about food. And even if we get people into a video by making, you know, uh, I don't know, an Oreo biscuit, that giant Oreo mm-hmm. that looks like a biscuit and all that, you know, we're actually teaching people about technique and stuff like that and the history of food. And I think how to consume food ethically in some ways, at least. And so I think this all comes down to responsibility of the actual creators of food content. 
I do agree. I think I think the responsibility of the creators there. But you know, some people, their sole purpose, for example, yummy.com is a great example. Their main purpose is to just throw stuff to Instagram and have people watch it. A lot of the times the things they do are not safe. Have you seen those yummy.com videos where they uh, put caramel on like a hot stove and they tell people it makes a candy? In my heart, I'm like, no, no, don't do that. That's a, I'm like, no, this is horrific. And people, but people aren't recreating that, you know, they're watching it because it's interesting to watch like, oh my gosh, this person took caramel and they made a, made a cookie out of it. That's crazy. There's no way like scientifically that could actually happen. That's just a food styling thing. I would know because I did that a long time ago and I lied to the general public, but like, <laughs> it's just for entertainment purposes. And I feel like, like one day people will be smart enough to know that this content from this place is for entertainment purposes, not necessarily to duplicate and learn. You know what I mean? This is like, a, was it Charles Barkley? Who's like, I'm not a role model. I didn't ask for your kids to look up to me. This is somewhat... Don't talk about sports with me. <laughs> okay, this is like, uh, yeah, no, you don't play video games either. Man, our references really don't hit with each other. No, but this no is, they th- don't. This is, I suppose, somewhat the argument of like violent video games. Like teens should teens... People know the difference between video violence and violence in real life. People know the difference between content that is just made for entertainment and things you should actually do at home. So you're saying there's yeah, kind of well, a split. Yeah, well, you hope that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I do think that that's a really, really interesting development that we haven't seen. Because even back in our day, when we were growing up with Food Network, they weren't just entertainment first. There was nothing that like... every. Even every cooking show out there with very entertaining hosts and all that, it was still informative. And the idea was, here's a recipe that you are going to make. I remember the first thing that I watched where I realized that, oh, food can be purely a form of entertainment was Epic mm-hmm. Mealtime. And I lo- Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, that was a huge moment for me where I was like, you're doing these things that I could never do. And I am going to sit here and watch every single minute of it and love it and be delighted. And it's never going to actually affect my real life in the way that like i'm not gonna what do they do they like stuffed a duck inside of a chicken inside of a turkey inside of a whole pig and then wrapped it in bacon yeah that sounds uh on brand for them yeah and that was awesome and like you said earlier you wouldn't have this career without instagram i wouldn't have this career without one instagram but two that inspiration from epic mealtime and i think there is value in teaching people to play with their food and that food is fun and it's kind of silly and stupid sometimes but then where does that, you know, intersect with the idea that like food is a basic skill and necessity? Well, that's the thing. Instagram has all of that. Instagram has the informative. It has the entertaining. It has the outlandish. It has the disgusting. I mean, we make eyeball pasta, man. Who's going to make eyeball pasta? Literally no one. I didn't want to make Literally. eyeball. I mean, I wanted to make it. It was fun. It was delicious. And shout out to Ryan for sourcing the eyeballs. That seems so long ago. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, I don't, I mean, I love the Epic Mealtime guys. I think what they did in terms of like outlandish food was so unique and so wonderful. And like, honestly, props to Harley. Harley's his name. Yeah. Right? Shout out to Harley Morenstein. Really Harley Morenstein. Friend of the show. Awesome dude. Yeah. Like what he did for like the food world. I think was awesome. It was outlandish and it was in your face and at times it was like disgusting. But I th- like you said, he was definitely inspirational and people like him, aka people like us, I think really inspire people through the medium of Instagram and YouTube and things like that. So I think 
it does help a lot of people. And I think it creates this really cool environment where people are experimenting, like you said. But, you know, things like Bon Appetit, God bless them. Like they have people teaching, they have people teaching other people how to cook pasta till it's al dente. Like that exists out there. Like people teaching people how to do really, really simple things. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum of, you know, deep frying a pizza. So I think Instagram is doing amazing things for food, Josh. I, I really do. I think I just had an epiphany. What is it? So talking about food for entertainment purposes, I, I remember back in college, I would watch Epic Meal Time all the time. I was living in a house of like nine other dudes. It was this duplex in Santa Barbara. And we actually, we didn't recreate an Epic Meal Time thing, but we took inspiration from it. And I was already cooking a lot back then. And I made this like 40 pound quiche for some reason for my friend's birthday that had a bunch of Hot Pockets and Big Macs shoved into the quiche. Neither here nor there. Uh, but I remember none of my roommates really cooked. They would always get takeout from a local place. Uh, and then I started making these like weird outlandish things, especially when we were drinking. And I'm realizing mm-hmm. now that that was the carrot that kind of got them in the door to cooking. And that's well, really there cool. there you go, Josh. I, rem- I literally like... That's awesome. I, I remember all my roommates coming up to me and being like, hey, man, like, how do you make that? I was making like sloppy joes or something. Uh, and I taught them how to all together. They were all gathered around the kitchen. I taught them how to chop a red onion and tomatoes and saute it. And I remember after that, all of my roommates went out and bought red onions and tomatoes from Costco, no less. And so we just had like 30 red onions and tomatoes. And it was the first time a lot of them had ever cooked with fresh vegetables. And it's funny seeing that the beginning of that journey was like an epic mealtime inspired chicken nugget quiche fest. There you go, Josh. That's amazing. You've always been a teacher at heart, haven't you? Yeah, you know, I used to work with children, Nicole. That's why I'm so patient with you. (laughs) I feel like children (laughs) scare the crap out of you. My first job ever was being a a kid science teacher for a camp called Destination Science. And the children scared... Oh, yeah, you told me this. The children scared the crap out of me. I'm so bad with kids because I try and get them to like me. And then I lose their respect in less than a day. (laughs) In eight hours. I used to be like you. I used to be like you. And then you know what? You just got to go in with confidence and be like, hey, my name is Josh. You're going to listen to me. That's how I do it. Like I make sure my voice goes into a baritone and I refer to myself as Josh. It works really, really well. You're going to listen to me. My name's Josh. Where is she? My name's Josh. Where is she? <laughs> so that makes sense. I guess what we're really talking about, Nicole, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not Instagram. It's not Instagram ruining food. That's not even the question. Instagram is merely a reflection of us. It is the black mirror from which we look into and see ourselves, our behaviors reflected back at us. It's not Instagram that needs to change. It's us. You are what you attract. And if you're attracting a deep fried pizza topped with chicken tenders, deep fried again, chopped with nachos, (laughs) deep fried again, topped with a Caesar salad, you suck and you need to reevaluate yourself. (laughs) Stop, that's going to be the next episode on Mythical Kitchen is we're making that dish. Nicole, we've heard what you and I have to say. Now it's time to find out what other wacky ideas are rattling out there in the Twitterverse. It's time for a segment we call Opinions Are Like... Opinions Are Like Casseroles. Why do you laugh in the middle of it, bro? Dude, it's the the lag time in a video call that just makes it sound so stupid in my head. We're going to start with a a shady opinion from 80s McLaughlin. Is that the Rhett McLaughlin? Probably not. I like wrapping wrapping pickle slices and tortilla wraps and eating it as a burrito. I I don't know if I call that a a burrito. That's a wrap. 
I'm confused. So they put pickle slices in the tortilla or they put the tortilla in the pickle slice? No, no, they're they're literally just throwing a bunch of pickle slices. It has to be a slice, which I would throw a whole pickle in the tortilla and wrap it up because then you get more pickle surface area touching it. The wrap, the the slices are going to give you air pockets. So I don't like their execution already, but they wrap pickle slices in tortillas and then they eat it by itself. Uh, just eat the pickle by itself. Like no need for that extra carbohydrate. It's like a, it's like a mezza plate, you know? Like you get your pickles and you get your lavash and then you're just eating those together. I'm for it. It's a little sad. If you think about it, that's kind of a struggle meal. It's a little sad. Okay, next. Uh, bean boret. Okay. I eat everything cold. Beans, cold. Chicken, cold. Spaghetti, cold. Mashed potatoes, cold. Cauliflower, cold. Everyone thinks it's weird. And while they aren't wrong, I simply prefer my foods cold. Um, I'm wondering if this is a tooth sensitivity thing yet again. It seems like all these people have pre- preferences due to like medical issues. <laughs> is that wrong of me to like predetermine? I don't know. I guess it's like how I don't eat gummies because I have I have fillings that are loose and they'll fall out. I think it is a little a little premature to make that judgment mm. that this is all about teeth sensitivity. Also, cold food is often what your teeth are sensitive to. So why would they eat everything cold? Maybe they got hot mouth syndrome. <laughs> they got hot mouth syndrome. <laughs> that is not something I'd ever want to be accused of. Um, I have a friend named Chad. He's my best friend. And he eats uh, everything cold as well, including mashed potatoes. And I've always thought he was very weird for it. But he's still one of my best friends. So Bean Boy Rhett. I think you're weird, but you could still be one of my best friends if Chad is any indication. All right, so we got at Skelam84, a peanut butter sandwich on the cheapest white bread you can find paired with a bowl of chili. Yep. Same rules as chili and cornbread, same rules as the chili and uh, cinnamon roll thing, which I found out Sarah Whittle from Smosh grew up on eating in her cafeteria. Same rules. You take something a little bit sweet, a little bit cakey, even though peanut butter is not inherently sweet, and then you eat it with spicy chili. That sounds delicious to me. I put peanut butter in my chili, so dipping a peanut butter sandwich into it, I am doing that the next time I get chili. Shout out Skellum84, you're a freaking genius. I guess I just wasn't raised on chili, you know? So this is all very <laughs> odd to me. Very, very odd. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if I want to try it. I'm sorry, Skellum84. There's Persian chili. What is Persian chili? Uh, Game? Game is lentils, dog. Dude, there's beans and chili. Game is Persian chili. Game is lentils. What? That's you can make lentil chili, like all the fitness bloggers. If you like, who makes chi- lentil chili? If you're making lentil chili, you need to reevaluate your life. You're actually making game. <laughs> okay. Next up is real Sam Haddock. Is it against the rules to put blueberry pancake batter in a 9x9 cake pan and cook it on 350 for 12 minutes, cut it into rectangles, and pour honey on it to make? Blueberry cake bars. Absolutely not. That sounds delicious and actually sounds like a great little food hack, if you ask me. That's brilliant. This is weird because I think that's a terrible idea. Is what? That, it's shocking because I'm normally the person who has terrible ideas and not the person who's judging them. But no, here's here's my problem with it. A pancake is a pancake for a reason. The batter is different than an actual cake batter for a reason. It has less sugar in it, so you can like put it in a pan and get direct heat contact on it so it doesn't caramelize. If you've ever tried to just pan fry a cake batter, it burns before it actually cooks, but pancake batter doesn't. Cake batter is best baked. Pancake batter is best fried in a pan. So when you're baking pancake batter, all you're doing is making a less good cake. That That's my opinion. But the blueberries make it sweet, so it's good. It sounds nice. I, like I would definitely eat it, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like a, a tool exists for a specific purpose for a reason. I'd just rather have pancakes. 
And yes, real Sam Hatcock, it is against the rules. You should be put in jail for that. Oh my gosh. All right, at Just Jesse H, leftover Chinese food is so much better a day later and eaten cold than it is fresh. I, I would, I don't know. This is disrespectful. I man, I'm a negative Nelly today. This is happening. When Come on, Josh, smile. What's wrong think, with you? I think it's because my room smells so bad, and that's where I'm recording from because the room is also my gym, and I got under. Open a sweat. window. I can't. It's gonna mess with the audio. They're doing uh, oh. yard work outside oh. in the common areas that are completely closed in my apartment, which that is sucks. great. Uh, but no, left to return. I think you have some sort of a duty to eat food as it is meant to be prepared by the chef. So if they're saying this dish is better hot, then you kind of have a duty to eat it hot. And there's a lot of really great cold Chinese food dishes, especially those little like Szechuan appetizers, like the, uh, Mm -hmm. what's the, like acorn jelly with uh, Szechuan peppercorn chili oil on it. Yes. That's absolutely delicious. I know exactly what you're talking about. If you like to eat Chinese food cold, and like I've taken some bites of orange chicken from Panda cold from the fridge, it is pretty good. I don't think it's better a day later. That said, live your life, Just Jesse H. I think it's good either way. Underscore Neeners. Truffle anything tastes like vomit, and I'm convinced people just pretend to like it like it to seem fancy. Okay, I low-key agree with you. Truffle is um, a very intense flavor, and people like to pretend. They don't pretend. I don't think people like pretend to like food. I just think truffle is an ingredient that's best used sparingly, and that's where I stand. Don't overload your food with truffle. Have a little bit of common decency. I think truffle does taste like vomit, and I do think that people pretend to like certain things just to seem fancy, but I don't know where Do the... you like the taste of vomit? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not fresh vomit. I like the truffle taste of vomit. I like truffles. It's a very... It. It's Got a it. somewhat... <laughs> it's a somewhat offensive flavor, but like... When you were a kid and you tried beer for the first time, it was like, ew, gross. It's soda, but not sweet and tastes like old bread. And so you grow to learn these things. Do you consider that to be pretending to like them to the point where you actually do like them, like faking it until you make it? I don't know. That's a whole other discussion, I suppose. Uh, but I do think yeah. that there's some truth that people like things to seem more interesting or fancier than they actually are. That said, I'm also one of those people. So I love truffles and caviar. Deal with that. Okay, she cool like that. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I pre-reacted to this one. Dipping string cheese in chocolate pudding. That's nasty. I don't know. I'm trying to imagine it. Wait, have you had like, uh, was it canafe? Kanefe? Yes, I have. It's quite delicious. That's like a pretty stringy cheese with a bunch of delicious like sweet honey and stuff on it, right? It's not chocolate pudding. (laughs) No, but I'm trying to draw the like commonality between the two. So would you dip? It is not the same. Would you dip string cheese in honey? Yeah, I have before. Honey is just chocolate pudding made by bees. (laughs) What? That's, That's my opinion, casserole. Honey is chocolate pudding, but made by bees. And that's I'm sorry. And that's facts, Nicole. Underscore Korean Queen. Chicken and mushroom pizza with garlic parmesan sauce instead of marinara is the best. It's like a mini possible but flat. Hashtag opinion casserole. <laughs> Korean Queen, this sounds good. Like like that sounds uh like delicious. I give you a high five. I'm laughing at it's like a bowl but flat. Girl girl, <laughs> girl that's called a plate. It exists. <laughs> Uh, stupid. No, but I, I do completely agree with her. I love me not just like a white sauce pizza that's like, you know, oh, this is from this region, Italy. No, I love like a garlic cream Alfredo sauce with chicken and bacon and all that on pizza. Yeah, that sounds sure. delicious right now. I might try and make one for lunch. All right. At Pugtato1013. 
Spicy nacho Doritos inside a fried PB&J, the most delicious sandwich. Uh, yeah, convinced. Yeah. Yeah. I love putting chips in my sandwiches a Spi- lot. Spicy nacho is an underrated flavor of Dorito, too. It doesn't have, like, burn-your-mouth heat, but it's just a little bit more exciting than nacho cheese. Spicy nacho is maybe the unsung hero of the Dorito universe. Agreed. There's a lot of peanut butter content. That yeah, half of, the, half of the opinions that we get are a just lot. people eating peanut butter sandwiches with different things on them. It's, it's quite inundated with peanut butter. I can't handle it. Okay. Ne- Neppy nut. <laughs> is that how you say that? <laughs> Uh, That's how I choose to say it. Nipnut. Neep. Neepnut. <laughs> Neepnut says, I don't know how weird this is, but spaghettios with meatballs are far superior to meatballless <laughs> spaghettios, which are just sad. Both of those sound very sad. And I can't help you because I've never had spaghettios. Oh my god. Okay, I know exactly what they're talking about. When I was a kid, um, spaghettios with meatballs are a little bit more expensive, so I always like thought that they were very fancy and for fancy rich people so when i was a kid anytime they went on sale i would like crave the spaghettios with meatballs and i tried to eat one as an adult and uh (laughs) the meatballs aren't exactly your artisanal polpette from your osteria down the street they kind of taste like dog food do i still think they're better Mm, no i'm gonna say original spaghettios are better i want the purity i don't need that extra meat if i want protein i'll drink a protein shake um what does spaghettios taste like are they like sweet have you ever, you, dude, they are so sweet. I've, Have you ever had um, uh, uh, Campbell's tomato soup? Yes. All right, so imagine you take equal parts corn syrup and Campbell's tomato soup, and then you overcook, and then you overcook pasta rings into absolute oblivion so you don't have to chew them, and then that's SpaghettiOs. Uh, I do not like that kind of vomit. There's, okay. They're a canned product. Like, this isn't an elitist thing. Like, I love canned dinty more beef stew. I think that stuff is delicious. I love So do some, I. It's, it's so good. Uh, I love really corned beef hash in a can. To me, any artisanal corned beef hash will never recreate the flavor of canned corned beef hash. But SpaghettiOs are a thing for me that, like, even when I was a kid, I didn't even like them that much. I just craved them because I thought rich people ate them inexplicably. Cool. <laughs> Is it my turn? <laughs> okay. Uh, no, it's my turn. I'm going to go to Smosh the Like. Mayo Chup is a superior condiment, but not like the premixed stuff, though. Yup. Uh, yup. It's quite, it's quite dank. Big fan. But it's funny that they called it Mayo Chup because, like, half quote unquote secret sauces, 90% of the actual ingredients are just mayonnaise and ketchup. Right, yeah. like Thousand Island, you add some pickle ju- pickles to it. Uh, Russian dressing. Some say it doesn't have ketchup in it, but all these things in Utah they call it fry sauce. In Argentina mm-hmm. they call it salsa rosa, I believe. There's like 90 different names for mayonnaise and ketchup mixed together. Uh, salsa de golf. I yes, think. salsa de golf in Argentina, right? Is or- it Argentina? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's Argentina. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think Puerto Rico's salsa rosa. But the point is, like, everyone around the world can't be wrong. Mayonnaise and ketchup is such a delicious sauce. Best thing to put on fries. Agreed. Twins play. Door sauce is a culinary masterpiece. You can never make the same door sauce twice, so it's always a new experience. Different sauce ratios, quality, and combinations of sauces face with a monocle. Let's break this down. Door sauce. What they seem to be implying is that you open your fridge door and you take a couple different sauces and you combine them together. I respect it. I respect that. And it's absolutely true. Like, I do that all the time. I'll do like... You know, ranch dressing, salsa, fish sauce, hot sauce, mix it together, and it always turns out really good. Agreed. I think this is a, a brilliant way to like, uh, like name the the thing that we always do. What's it called when you give something like a proper name? Uh, canonize. 
Yes, we have canonized the process, boys and girls. Door sauce. Door sauce coming to a door near you in 2021. <laughs> and on that note, thank you for listening to A Hot Dog's a Sandwich. We got new episodes for you every Wednesday. If you want to be featured on Opinions Are Like Casseroles, you can hit us up on Twitter at MythicalChef or Zada with the hashtag OpinionCasserole. And for more Mythical Kitchen, check us out on YouTube. We launch new videos every week. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.